0: This is the Dean's Dissertation, the Cleveland Sports Review and beyond with your host, Greg Brinda. Hi everybody, Greg Brinda with another edition of the Dean's Dissertation. I know it's been a long time. We've been on a bit of a hiatus, but now it's time to resurrect ourselves and come out of hiatus land because certainly there's a lot to talk about. And the way I'm going to approach it is we're going to go in descending order with the latest news first to the, well, the old news, which would be the Cleveland Indians being eliminated in three games by the Houston Astros. We're still trying to get over that. But anyway, here's the situation. The Cleveland Browns are once again a royal mess. Maybe not as bad as not winning a game or as bad as winning one game in a season, but the Cleveland Browns have finally rid themselves of Hugh Jackson. Now, if you've been listening to me or reading me on my tweets or on my uh, radio show on WTAM, you know how I feel about Hugh Jackson. I thought he should have been fired a long time ago. I didn't think he should have made it to this year, but the Haslam's... um, must have made a deal with uh, Jackson and said, "Hugh, you know what? You can stay on. We hired a new GM and John Dorsey, but you were you were dealt a very bad deck. So he- here's the deal: uh, we're going to keep you around for at least a year, see how you do, and then we'll we'll take it from there." Well, he didn't last a year. He last he lasted half a year, and the results were very very poor. I mean, the record speaks for itself: two, five, and one. Four overtime games, but most importantly, you saw Baker Mayfield not growing as a quarterback. I go back to that third game of the season, the Thursday night nationally televised game in which uh, he came in relief of Tyrod Taylor and we all thought a star was born. Fans were about as excited about a Browns game and a Browns win than I've seen in a very long time. Maybe maybe about as excited when, you know, the false prophet Johnny Manziel came to play how many years ago? I don't even remember how many years ago that was cuz I tried to erase Johnny Manziel and the Manziel Mafia from my from my memory. But it was a Crazy Thursday night, uh, if you were there or if you were watching it on TV or if you were watching the news or if you were just in the downtown area, it was beyond crazy after Manziel came in relief and beat the New York Jets. Well, not to say that it's been all downhill from there, but there have been more lows and highs. Has Baker Mayfield learned a lot? Absolutely. Has he has he gotten better in, in areas? Absolutely. But he didn't progress Uh, injuries certainly didn't help with the wide receiver situation, the trading of Josh Gordon to the New England Patriots, which should have happened, which did happen, which uh, was really only a few of the good things the Browns have done since the start of the year. But when it's all said and done, you really look at the situation and you say, are we doing enough to help our quarterback? Well, the Hugh Jackson story has been chronicled over and over and over again. And if you go back to HBO and you go back to Hard Knocks and you go back to that early discussion with his assistant coaches on you know, whether or not they needed to practice harder and longer during training camp, and Hugh basically abruptly interrupted them and said, no, we are not, we need to save them. And if you saw the expression on Todd Haley's face and some of the other assistant coaches, and maybe more specifically, their unwillingness to ask him any more questions or challenge him, challenge him. Um, At that point, I think now if we go back in time, we can honestly say that that was the day that Hugh Jackson lost his coaching staff. He and Todd Haley seemed to clash from that point on. We saw it in the uh, opener when uh, Josh Gordon actually was there for the first play of, uh, of the game when, Hugh Jackson adamantly said that that was not going to happen. It seemed that Todd Haley was going to do his thing, was not going to really respect the head coach, which, again, you have to respect the head coach. You have to do what the head coach is telling you. To be, um, to be what he did, I call him a rogue coordinator. And I think to some degree the new uh, uh, interim head coach, Greg Williams, is a rogue coordinator. You can't have that dysfunction in a football team. And that was what was, was going on. So you have to look at the leader and you have to say to yourself, is he doing a good job? And the answer was, no, he wasn't. He's never really done a good job. He has the second worst record of any NFL head coach with 50 or more games in the history of the league. Think about that. He has the second worst record of any NFL head coach in the history of the league who has coached 50-plus games. Well, that kind, of, um, that kind of tells you the whole story, doesn't it, folks? It, 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 it really does. And Hugh Jackson did it to himself. Todd Haley, well, he also saw the, the axe uh, turn down his head. And rightfully so. It wasn't. It, 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 it looked as if Haley was just being defiant and stubborn. And if you looked at one specific era area, it was the Duke Johnson thing. Why, when maybe he is your second best offensive weapon, you refuse to use him? That was crazy. Why would you literally not use your second best weapon next to Jarvis Landry? It seemed inconceivable. It seemed crazy. It seemed beyond stupid. Well, both of them are now gone. It doesn't put the Browns in a better situation. It doesn't put Baker Mayfield in a better situation. But eventually, the Browns will find their new head coach. And I think it's imperative that John Dorsey think outside the box. Please, don't bring in a buddy. Please don't bring in a guy that's been a head coach and doesn't have a winning record. Please don't do that. We have seen too many of these guys or unproven coordinator guy that when you put him in a head coaching position, he basically poops the bed. You just don't need that kind of guy. Now, are the Browns in a better place than they were a year ago or two years ago? Well, I think by some... I don't know. Uh, accident. The Haslam's may have hired the right guy in John Dorsey as their GM. In fact, John Dorsey may be the best hire they have made since owning the team. Because let's be fa- let's let's be frank here, folks. The Haslam's are not very good owners. They're horrible owners, as a matter of fact. I thought Randy Lerner was a horrible owner. These people are worse. In fact, I might I just you know might incite a riot here. But Art Modell moving the Cleveland Browns is a 1,000 times better owner than the Haslam's. Did you hear me? Let me repeat that because you may not be hearing this correctly. Art Modell, who moved the Cleveland Browns, was a 1,000 times better owner than the Haslam's. Now, how does this season play out? I don't know. I don't think anybody expects any miracles. If they win four games or five games, it's probably about what they were going to do anyway. But they needed to separate themselves from bad leadership. They needed to separate themselves from a road coordinator. And whether they're going to improve going forward, really de- it really depends on John Dorsey and his player acquisition. And it really, really depends on the growth of Baker Mayfield. Just how good this young man will be really depends on his environment, the weapons around him, if he doesn't get killed, because he looks like he's going to get killed this year by a very porous offensive line, or should I say a porous left side of the offensive line. We shall see. It's not the same old, same old, but it will be depressing once again. Well, guess what, folks? We should be used to it. Cavaliers, just a day before, on a Sunday, fired their head coach, Ty Lu. Not surprised and, you know, not wishing bad things on anybody, but I didn't think he was the guy for the job. Did any of you? And let's not feel sorry for Ty Lu, because he's still going to get uh, about $15 million left on his contract. So he's not hurting Remember, after the Cavaliers won that championship in 2016, Ty Lue signed a five-year, $35 million contract. At the time, I, I said to myself, okay, they won a championship. I'm not going to take the credit away from Ty Lue, but if you don't have LeBron James, you're not winning anything. Really? Right? Right? Are we all in agreement with that? But when when Dan Gilbert rewarded him with seven million dollars a year you had to ask yourself is Ty Lue really worth that kind of money well the Cavs won one championship out of four and it looked as if Ty Lue was ready for another challenge was ready to take a, a team and kind of mold it into what he wanted it to be uh you didn't have to really cater to LeBron James anymore who was you know the quasi-coach. But there just seemed to be something missing even in training camp. All the players talked a good talk. They were going to be their own guys now. Um, they were not and no longer in the shadow of LeBron James. They were going to be able to be creative and play their own game. And it was like, oh, my God, the chain of LeBron James, the chain of going to four straight NBA Finals, was now lifted. And I'd sit back and go, okay, so what is the end game here? Isn't the end game always play for the NBA title? What indeed were the Cavs shooting for? What were the Cavs players shooting for? Really? They didn't want an NBA finals, they didn't want to win a championship, they wanted to play their own game. Rodney Hood would come out of his shell. Jordan Clarkson would be good again. George Hill would see the fountain of youth. Kevin Love would take all that money he's been given and, you know, be the focal point of the, of, of the team. Well, that's not going to happen because Kevin Love, again, and the word is, again, is hurt, foot hurt, toe hurt, and he may be out a very, very, very long time. How is that in the world going to help the Cavaliers? Without Kevin Love, folks, remember the four years when LeBron left? How bad it was? If Kevin Love can't play much this year, it could be as bad. It may be even worse. As to the future coach of the Cavaliers, Larry Drew is there on an interim basis If when you're hearing this. In fact, he may be fired by the time you do hear this. He may have uh, (laughs) gone over the hill by then, because Larry Drew wants to be the head coach, not the interim head coach, but the head coach. And that may not happen, or it may happen. So when you hear this podcast, Larry Drew may not even be the head coach, he may be the head coach. Or he still may be the voice, as he's calling himself. He refuses to use the term interim head coach. He will be the voice. He will continue to be the voice for as long as, I don't know, he wants to be or the Cavs want him to be the voice of the team. Folks, listen, I didn't like these guys not coming to the help of LeBron during the finals last year. If you know me, you know I hate tank guy. You know I hate the word rebuild. It just tortures my soul when I hear those words. But I might make an exception here. Not that I'm going to pay a lot of attention to it, but I won't be thoroughly disgusted by it. Because let's face it, other than maybe, uh, you know, Colin Sexton or Teddy Osmond, And Larry Nance Jr., is there anybody else that you really, 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 really like on this team? Is there anybody else that you really, 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 really have to have on this team? Ask yourself that. After watching all those guys, for the most part, disappear last year during the postseason. Do you honestly think that Kevin Love should be the focal point of any NBA team? I know he's an all-star. He may even be a Hall of Famer someday. But is Kevin Love the focal point of a basketball team? And now with the injury, well, that answer may just take care of itself. I don't know if we'll ever see. I don't. Let me let me restate that. I don't know if I will ever see the Cavs play in an NBA Finals again. You wanna know why? Because it's really, really hard to acquire greatness. Not only do you have to acquire, and 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 let's just take, just say for argument's sake, that Colin Sexton's a real deal, gonna be a really good player. And that Larry Nance is gonna continue to grow and be a really, really good player. And Jenny Osmond is gonna be a really, really good player. Well, that, you know, all of that helps, but you know what you need? You need greatness. You need to acquire greatness. And folks, it's really hard to acquire greatness. And if the Browns don't, or the Browns, if the Cavs don't acquire greatness, yeah, they'll they'll be back in the playoff hunt again someday. They may even make it through a couple of rounds. But when you want to be a true championship caliber team, you have to have greatness, and it's not the easiest thing in the world. Dan Gilbert has shown that, you know, he'd open the checkbook anytime um, he thought it was necessary. Well, we'll see if he does that again. You know, come to think of it, is Dan Gilbert going to be the longtime owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers? You have that to consider, too. So for the time being, or maybe this season, it could be a very long road to hoe. You know, when it was impossible to get a Cavs ticket, or it was very expensive, those of you who want to see NBA action, those of you who want to see this team, those of you who want to see the stars of the NBA, me thinks you're not going to be paying a whole lot of money to go down to the queue these days. And finally, the Cleveland Indians. Such a great disappointment again. It was a disjointed regular season. The Indians were never pushed. And then the postseason started, and those first two games in Houston kind of told the whole story, folks. They really did. When Corey Kluber didn't have it in the first game, you knew the Indians were in big trouble, and it was all downhill from there. Jose Ramirez had a couple of the greatest months in the history of baseball. He had three of them, for that matter. But then when August came and September, Jose Ramirez's bat went absolutely silent. And it continued and remained silent in the postseason for the second straight year. I got to ask you, does anyone trust Jose Ramirez? Corey Kluber hasn't had a good postseason game in the last four games. What is his future? And then when you look at free agency and... What might happen to the outfield? Will Michael Brantley stay or go? Do the Indians want to, to keep him? I, I, I'll i tell you this. If they lose Michael Brantley to free agency, this could be a very ugly-looking outfield next year. Oh, the Indians still might have enough talent. They probably do have enough talent to win the American League Central Division again. They might be chased a little more this year. It may be a little closer. But then what? You get to the postseason, and you're going to look at your other opponents. You're going to look at the other three teams that make the that make the uh, the the final four, as I call it. What are you going to have for your team? Are you going to be confident in Jose Ramirez? Are you going to be confident in Corey Kluber? I think the Indians have to be cons- very, very creative here in this offseason. They're going to lose free agents, but arbitration is going to basically eat up all that salary that they're losing. Frankie Linder is going to be a $10 million player. I mean, he really is. And Trevor Bauer is going to be a $10 million player. They're going to both get that money in arbitration. So all the money that's going to go bye-bye via free agency is going to be absorbed by the arbitration and... It doesn't look good for the Indians. I, I, I tell you this. I don't even, I, Terry Pluto of the Cleveland Plane Dealer in Cleveland.com wrote an interesting article the other day, and he said, the outfield could be, now think about this, Jason Kipnis in left, Greg Allen in center, or Leon and Leonis Martin, and Tyler Naquin in right. I want you to, I, in fact, I won't repeat that. I just want that to settle in with you. That is not a very good outfield, but that could be the outfield. We're going to probably see Yandy Diaz at third base. you got to find out if this young man is the real deal offensively. I think he is. The infield might be set, although I do worry about Jose Marti- uh, Jose Ramirez. Yonder Elaza will be back at first base. You know, when you think about it, um. <sighs> He basically can hit a fastball, and if you throw him anything off speed, uh, not so much. And he doesn't work the count either. Not a good thing. Roberto Perez, is he going to have a comeback? Or are the Indians going to have to look for another backup catcher? And the bullpen has to be completely remade. Honestly, I think Andrew Miller is broken down, and Cody Allen, I think, has seen the best of times. Maybe if we got Cody Allen back in a really, really cheap deal, and that's a possibility. I take a shot at him. You're saying no, no to Andrew Miller. I just think he's broken down, folks. Maybe he'll have a you know a, a good year down the road, a year or two from now. Think about all the millions of dollars that Cody Allen and Andrew Miller lost because of their ineffectiveness or injury this past year. They could have been making a lot of money as free agents, and and may, maybe maybe there will be some team that will pay them that kind of cash. I kind of doubt it though. I really I I really doubt it. So it'll be very interesting, especially now with the World Series over, I think the Red Sox won, right? Yeah. To see what the Indians do here in the off season. I think they have to be creative. I think they have to make some trades because I think they need to rejuvenate the spark in Tribe fans. Because I think Tribe fans were really really let down when the season ended as I say prematurely, against the Houston Astros in very early October. So there's a handle on the three teams. We're going to be uh, getting back to this on a more regular basis uh, in the very near future. In fact, we may have one coming up in a few days because things are always stirring in Cleveland. As we always say, OIC, only in Cleveland. That's another edition of the Dean's Dissertation. I'm Greg Brenda. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Dean's dissertation, the Cleveland sports review and beyond come back for more.